This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, it's a new year, and you know what that means. Time for a new website. And a new me. But a what new about you, a website, though? Mostly a new website. Um, I can't help you with the new you, but I can help you with the new website by telling you to go to Squarespace and build a website with Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you build websites, uh, claim domains, sell online, market your brand, and more. And they give you all kinds of analytics that you can use to track your growth and to see who your new website is appealing to. Uh, They combine cutting-edge design and world-class engineering that make it easier than ever to establish your online presence. They've got beautiful templates, powerful e-commerce tools, all that good stuff. You know that stuff. The stuff from Squarespace. The good stuff. The good stuff from Squarespace. If you want to make a good, good website with Squarespace, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash overdue. And use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Let all acquaintance be forgotten. <laughs> I was thinking about, I was wondering if you were going to do this Auld Lang Syne thing, and I think we'd change the lyrics to, should all this Huxley be forgot? On account of the book that I read for our book podcast this week. <laughs> Should all this hug? That works pretty well, huh? Yeah, it does work pretty good, huh? Um, welcome to our show where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. Ideally, a book we have not read prior to this uh, occasion. And you, the listener, get to enjoy it. Andrew, you are alluding to a book that you read... What was it? It was Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. New Year, New Worlds. That's what I always say. When I suggested this for the schedule, I truly did not think about the ramifications of putting it as our first episode in 2021. I thought about it while I was reading it. I was like, oh, this is a this is an interesting way to kick things <laughs> off. This, is this a... doesn't prove to be prescient oh, in God. some way. So this is a book that I have known existed since I read 1984 the first time, mm-hmm. but never read. So I'm excited to have you tell me about it. Have you? Mm-hmm. What is your is your exposure to this book similar? Like it's out there as the other. Yeah, I sort I've knew of it as a dystopian novel, but really nothing else about it. Yeah, um, because I think 1984 has largely eclipsed it in terms of like popular mentions like i don't think that people in tv shows and whatever talk about like splitting an embryo like 90 ways to make a bunch of like weird little servant people no (laughs) the way that they talk about like big brother or you know we've always been at war with blah 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 blah. like it spawned more catchphrases yes well and it's focus on language is perhaps part of why that is but yeah like we don't go around saying things are huxleyan we say that they're orwellian Mm -hmm. um even though they would probably mean different things um what do you know about mr aldous do you know anything about him i know that he was born in 1894 he died in 1963 and he wrote a bunch of stuff um 
Brave New World, published in I think 1931, was is probably yeah, his yeah. biggest work. But then he, um, a couple decades later, revisited it in a series of essays called Brave New World Revisited. And then the year before he died in 1962, he published a, a utopia novel, Island, which I don't know very much about. I know that utopian novels often end up being accidentally dystopian, so- <laughs> which I don't know. <laughs> So what I, like, could, I, I don't know if that's how Island goes or not. <laughs> uh, from my understanding about Island, it it set on an island, and uh, it is not as bleak as this one. I don't know what the that would con- be pretty easy. Yeah, it'd be to pretty do. easy. This one's pretty maybe. bleak. Um, and it, I don't know. I think it's like there is a lot of actual freedom in that book. I know that he was, you know, so he'd been writing novels in the twenties. Um, you know, he went to Oxford and did all that jazz that you might do. He right did about the comma. Yeah, he didn't serve. That's where they, that's where they teach you about mm-hmm. that comma. He didn't serve in World War One because he uh, like had a some infection in his eye when he was young, which left him partially, if not fully, blind in one of his yeah, eyes. Yeah, he suffered from poor eyesight for pretty much his entire yep. life, though. Though that varies based on like where he was living and and other things in his life at the time his family has remarked that without that he might have gone into medicine like the rest of like a lot of members of his family and so that actually sent him on his career as a writer he was spending time with the bloomsbury group um but he was responding to books by hg wells among others with this one um previous to this hg wells had written a modern utopia and men like gods which are both utopian novels um that one, you know, men, modern utopia, there's a class of noble people called samurai mm-hmm. who are not samurai, uh, but they r- willingly rule all of society. It's sort of like a dream. And then in Men Like Gods, a dude gets teleported to utopia in space future, uh, which is like a successful anarchy. But then humans like n- normal humans show up and try to ruin it. Mm-hmm. Um and apparently Huxley set out to write a negative utopia with this one to like, huh. if, if only there is a word for that. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, and to, to, what did he say? I'm writing a novel about the future on the horror of the Wellsian utopia and a revolt against it. Very difficult. I have hardly enough imagination to deal with such a subject, but it is nonetheless interesting work. Yeah, and, and I my thing was flip, but I, yeah, 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 yeah. I think there is a there is a difference between a negative utopia where everybody in the society believes things to be going well, yes, and to believe that they are happy, and like a full on nineteen eighty four dystopia where the government is just like going around kicking people in the face all the time. Correct, literally, <laughs> yes. And um, so nineteen eighty four came out in. It's like a, like a decade and a half after this, right? It was like 49 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so there, the, um, the big like divergence that I was finding in these books is like, this is 31, 32. So Stalin, I think, is in power, but he's not like the Stalin that we know. And like Hitler hasn't fully taken control of Germany yet. Um, so Huxley's writing about like the fallout of the Depression and like, people's reactions to World War One and the rise of industrial capitalism and consumer capitalism. And then Orwell is writing about like the dawn of the Cold War <laughs> and like that type of totalitarian state. So like there, these ideas are coming out of fundamentally different like Petri dishes. 
I think. Yeah, and there was such a there was such a narrow window to write about like dystopian stuff that was not flavored with some kind of like post World War Two yep. thing, like mm-hmm. or like post atomic thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but that still like knew about industrialization and and world wars and like the idea of some kind of like interconnected world state which this book does deal with a little bit like there was very little time where those concepts were around where the other stuff wasn't also around so there just isn't a lot of i think huxley talked a little bit about this like the 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 book's one like failure of foresight was not to take like nuclear advancements into Mm. account like Mm. it doesn't really deal with that at all and so maybe that is why 1984 feels like it strikes more of a modern chord because it is more like it's it's more recognizable as as a society that spent like decades in the cold war and that 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 just phase of human development has lasted longer it feels like to me yeah there's a really interesting essay by uh margaret atwood um, for the Guardian in 2007, called "Everybody Is Happy Now," um, and she writes about this book 75 years later, compares it a lot to 1984, um, and just talks about it being a little bit more insidious of a negative utopia. Um, because and I'm interested to know how you feel it's depicted in the novel itself, but like it's about kind of the controlling aspects of pleasure and things that are purportedly good. Um, and she like puts it in like, okay, you have 1984, you have the cold war, the cold war ends and we're like, all right, well that's done with. And then maybe we're living in more of a brave new world space in the nineties and then nine 11 happens. And then U S shifts back to like a 1984 thing. Like she just is playing. She's making some interesting points about like when either of these books may have felt more resonant. Um, but she also kind of says like this book is maybe more powerful, but lacks the easy, analogs to the world as we see it today yeah i think that's right and there, there is a um there's a letter to george orwell that uh, mm-hmm. that huxley wrote that is published in the edition of the of the book that i read that i thought was interesting um because uh orwell orwell's publisher sent a copy of 1984 to huxley at orwell's request i don't i don't know like what kind of circles they ran in, but I'm sure if you're writing a dystopian novel in 1949, you'd know about Brave <laughs> yeah. New Worlds and yeah. Aldous Huxley. Um, and Huxley's, you know, complimentary of it for sure. He says, um, agreeing with what, Agreeing with all that the critics have written of it, I need not tell you yet once more how fine and how profoundly important the book is. May I speak instead of the thing with which the book deals, the ultimate revolution. And so he talks about what the, like, what the end state, I guess, of, mm. a, of a society is like that. And, and he basically says, I don't feel like, I, I feel like I got it closer to right is basically <laughs> oh, what <no>. he says. <laughs> and he's, he's not unkind about it. He just, and he doesn't, what he says is it is probably going to be easier to control large groups of people in this context with like good stuff and like pleasure and like sedating them than it is with like, you know, two minutes hate and just nonstop like screaming and and physical violence and, and suppression. 
Um, he says the philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984 is a sadism which has been carried to its logical conclusion by going beyond sex and denying it. Whether in actual fact the policy of the boot on the face can go on indefinitely seems doubtful. My own belief is the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of si satisfying its lust for power, and these ways will resemble those which I described in Brave New World. And uh, later on, within the next generation, I and this is he's writing this in like. The, 1950-something. Okay. Uh, no, 19, 1949. He's writing it uh, not long after 1984 came out. Uh, within the next generation, I believe that the world's rulers will discover that infant conditioning and narco-hypnosis are more efficient as instruments of government than clubs and prisons and that the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging and kicking them into obedience. So it's the worst fears of what TikTok is, essentially. I guess. Is it not? I, the, explain to me what We're all what? being controlled and sedated by social media, Andrew. Wake up, sheep. I guess. I mean, I was I was going to make more of an observation, I guess, about like modern propaganda. Yeah, no, that's the better thing to and say. And how it works. Like, and, and it is not, it is still operating primarily by making people mad instead of making people feel safe, but... Mm. It is uh, a a tool of controlling people that kind of makes them do some of the work and like buy into it in a way that is like less likely to prompt a revolution or like pushback. I guess. Yeah, I sense. saw I saw a comparison too of that. It's not necessarily about you know, like the 1984 model is to like completely restrict information and prevent people from even knowing that there are things to know. And something more similar to Brave New World is like the the utter deluge of just stuff, whether or not it's facts or fiction, um, which makes it less likely that you will even care to know the truth. Yeah, well, yeah. and it's interesting how I think a lot of propaganda it actually, it's especially like anti-government propaganda, um, sort of put it uses 1984 as a sort of Mm. straw man to be like man you don't want you don't want the government overrunning all your personal liberties and doing like 1984 stuff do you like no no way like how yeah yeah you know what i mean no but but it's then okay i want to pivot to the book in a second because i don't i do to, i do yeah, too and we need to it, take a break as you're well. just making me think of then like 1984 is a is this like totalitarian state control and brave new world at least as i understand it from the research i've done is more like the corporations control you, man, through consumerism. I mean, sort of, but, but worse. I think any any sufficiently large and controlling corporation is just the government. Yeah. Oh no, I I think, but I think you're right that the like you don't want the government to control you, man, is like you get some of that with Facebook now, but like I think there was a period of time where that critique was pretty exclusive. Or or is used exclusively around like government stuff, mm -hmm. like the state. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, I, what we're, we will end up talking about Henry Ford, but there's more to talk about in the context of the book. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll get into it. Okay. Andrew, do you need a book? I feel like I've got plenty 
on my plate, but maybe some of our listeners need more books. Yeah, so I'll tell our listeners, you can just hang out. Uh, yeah, that's Overdue crazy. is brought to you in part this week by Book of the Month. Uh, it's a super popular and fast-growing online book service for readers. Their mission is to promote new and emerging authors and help readers discover books they love. Their team vets hundreds of books each month and gives readers their choice from a curated selection of new and early releases. Uh, this month's books... January 2021, include Jane Harper's The Survivors, The Prophets by Robert Jones Jr., and Outlawed by Anna North. Um, they have a skip policy, which means it's pretty risk-free. You can skip any month, any time, and you will not be charged. And they have the best price for new release hardcover fiction. So for a limited time, you can get your first book with Book of the Month for just $5 using the code OVERDUE. That's bookofthemonth.com. Enter the code OVERDUE for the lowest promo of the year. All right, Andrew. Yes. I'm looking out of the horizon. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, kind of bored with my cowardly old world. <laughs> Tell me where I'm headed. Uh, well, let's go to a brave new world. Perfect. Then. That's what I was hoping for. Shan't we? Shall we? <laughs> Shan't we? The first couple chapters of the book are basically table setting for this dystopia. It's it's framed as a like a tour of a baby factory, basically. Oh. By students and by baby factory. No, I'm not talking about your mom. Hey. Wow, kicking <laughs> off 21 with some good vibes. <laughs> it is, and you, and you mentioned Henry Ford earlier. It is a like a basically a baby assembly line facility that is meant to create new people who then can slot into society's assembly line in a predictable way. So you, uh, you take like one fertilized embryo and you split it up into a bunch of different, like you, I think you could split it up into like 82 or it's a bunch of, a very good embryo can split a whole bunch of times. Okay. A whole bunch of little twin babies. And then from there you control the fetuses like exposure exposure to like blood oxygen and all kinds of other stuff to control their exact precise uh physical development and then after that you start like conditioning the babies with like subliminal sleep messages to get them to enjoy their lot in life like you get it, it's what alpha beta uh, like gamma delta and epsilon, epsilon. Like you get this five tier uh, ranking and then there are like pluses and minuses in there but basically like the alphas are the the highest achieving members of society they usually don't have like a split embryo deal it is just kind of a one sperm one egg okay situation to to drive home their uniqueness and they tend to be also like physically larger and more intelligent than the other people in society because they have been reared to be that way but okay by this combination of nature and nurture, you develop a self-sustaining assembly line society where everybody has a place and everybody is like conditioned to be happy with that place. And then also you just throw in some like good drugs and stuff. Yeah, what is it called? Soma. 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 Which is like just a sick drug that makes you feel good about how your dinky life like what it's kind 
like depending on how much you take, it can either just like make you make everything feel real chill, man, or it can like knock you out for 18 hours. Oh, neat. <laughs> and, you know, you take different amounts for different uh, different needs. It's referred to as a holiday when you take a bunch of it and you knock yourself out. Huh. I was going to break. I was a quick break. I've seen some writers like take where Huxley went. He got really into some Hindu mysticism in the late 30s and then the rest of his life got really into mescaline and like mind opening drugs and wrote books about it and stuff and so folks have drawn a through line between his soma stuff and that i don't know if the book is how that if that works for you and like how the drug is treated in this book Mm -hmm. um but he certainly seems at least you know whether or not he's making a judgment on it just like he is aware of and interested in the power of altering humanity mm-hmm. scientifically and medically and with drugs. Mm-hmm. So this is how most babies are born. Okay. To the extent that like having a father and a mother is like a, a weird thing that nobody does anymore. Mm. The, the very words father and mother exist somewhere between like cuss word and joke in this world which will become important later okay um yeah everything is very precisely controlled and that is the, the welcome to your dystopia when i'm when i am an adult what do i do like do i have a job yeah i mean it depends on what you've been raised for but yeah you some people have jobs some people are sort of a professional consumer class almost like they talk about this very specific run of conditioning where like it's, it's not the alphas. It's like the next tier down of people. Like they've been conditioned to be like scared of like flowers and nature. Oh, because so they, they made a class of people who liked flowers and nature so that people who lived in the cities would use transit, you know, thereby consuming and spending money to go out to the countryside. But then they just wanted to spend a bunch of time looking at like flowers and stuff, which was free <laughs> and is not is not creating consumption. And so they were like, well, what if we made them hate flowers, but love sports that needed like a big wide open spaces? Oh, okay. <laughs> so we, we can make sure that they still continue to consume transit and to use the transit, but to get rid of all this wasteful free time where they just were looking at flowers. So this, there's this really cool horrifying scene where this big group of like 80 babies, like eight month old babies gets introduced to flowers and allowed to like poke at the flowers and be interested in them before they start setting off very loud sirens and like electrocuting the babies whoa cool we talked about this before just how i love all the like when baby children suffer in media now just my favorite thing in the whole world so this very long and graphic scene describing babies screaming as they're electrocuted so that they're scared of flowers just really did it for me that's great loved it a plus thanks thanks aldis that's that's just that's an example yeah Yeah. and there's that and then you get the closest the book gets i think to like 1984 style catchphrases is the stuff that the kids get like repeated to them 
uh, as they sleep. It's like Huxley's very interested in this idea of like subliminal, like hypnosis stuff. Mm, mm. And um, so they, you know, they get all these phrases about like how everybody's happy and everybody belongs to everybody and, and like better a gram than a dam, I think when talking about the Soma, like how it's better to take a gram of the stuff than <laughs> it's weird. Okay. Um, I did find that there was a thing. This was like a, apparently a thing in the twenties, like hypnopedia. Hypnopedia. Yeah. Um, it's my but, favorite encyclopedia about hypnosis. There was a thing called the Psychophone released in 1927, Andrew. Huh. That you could use to listen to stuff while you slept and learn about it. I think it's. Aren't there still like. I don't, I don't know about I, think I don't know about still I know like back in like the 80s and 90s there used to be like all kinds of like subliminal audio tapes that you could listen to in your sleep sure. to like lose weight and stuff I feel like people were really interested in that in the 80s there was a there was a Saved by the Bell episode about like subliminal mind control that was the early 90s but there's a there's a Simpsons episode where Homer tried to get a weight loss tape but actually he got like a, a expand your vocabulary oh tape. yes and so he keeps eating a lot but he's very like florid about oh my it. god <laughs> Okay, so so far you have not mentioned like a character or anything. It's just no. This it's important to thing. understand the the background of, okay. of what we're dealing with before we get into the characters that there are who exist. Sure. Um, so we spend most of our time with this guy Bernard Marx. He is an alpha plus. Like he's the he's the the top of the cream of the crop society wise, but he is shorter than a lot of the other alpha pluses and that has given him an inferiority complex and that in turn means that he has problems with society oh no (laughs) (laughs) i was supposed to be the greatest but i'm slightly not the greatest Mm -hmm. i must burn everything down well it's it's like a combination of being slightly dissatisfied with what his own place in society is supposed to be and because he works in the in the branch of this like facility that does a lot of the sleep conditioning, he sort of understands what is being done to people oh, more okay. than, than most others do. And so he is way, he's way less apt to just repeat the stock phrases that other characters endlessly repeat and more apt to say, Oh yeah, you heard that 37 times a night between the ages of like 12 and 15. He knows, he knows too much about how the sausage is made. I think. Yeah. 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 Um, which seems like an inevitability of a system like this. Like it does seem, I know that it, like by this point, that's kind of a trope of like, you know, the matrix would spit out a Neo every few generations or whatever it is. But he's not really a no, he's Neo. not he's Neo. More of a, like, I just mean that like some sort of like controlled system like this could pretty easily spit out someone who's like, I know. There I are people who here. are and, and this this we we can talk about this toward the end of the book, but there are yeah, there are people who are like too individualistic to survive in this like collectivist okay, cool. okay. society. Um You've got this woman named Lenina who is a a technician at the at the baby factory, and again, not talking about your mom. Uh huh. Continue talking about this uh, this facility I, in this book. Brave I New think World her name is a reference to Lenin, as I understand it. Maybe I don't know. Um, a, lo- a lot of the names are references to uh, 
Just, just I mean, Marx is, is yeah. pretty obvious. <laughs> sure. Got a lot. Got a lot of Henry's. You got a Benito in there. Uh-huh. If you want to talk about like Mussolini. Great. Perfect. <laughs> so, yeah. The, the name's not super subtle. I would not be surprised if Lenin was was part of what was yep. going on uh, up in the mix. But she's she's mostly a typical member of society. It's definitely not a 1984 style thing where you've got like, oh, these these two people who want to push back against society meet each other and and start having like clandestine meetings and trying to plan how to escape or push back or whatever. Like she, she's mostly typical through her. And man, the way the book talks about women is, Uh I mean, it's the way it's the way the society is, is talking about women. She's referred to a million times as pneumatic Whoa. Which means she has big boobies. Whoa. And so everybody, all the guys in the book are talking about how like pneumatic she is and how pretty she is to look at. That sounds like um, slang from the fifties from like, it's, like it's a weird, it's a James strange Dean word. Movie. I don't think we need to bring pneumatic back. No, I personally. do not think so. Um, is the book, but, is there a lot of sex in this book? Yeah, kind of. I mean, not, you don't see a lot of, it's, sure. it's not like porn. It's not a porn book. No, but I know it's been censored it's, for, for it's like various flaunting of mores people just i mean because you don't nobody has reproductive sex anymore and 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 the whole point of society is to be sort of anesthetizing and to to give everybody all the pleasure that they want so everybody just kind of boinks around all the time okay great and it's not like a it's not a thing it's not a and again when you see when you get like an outsider to the society exposed to this they're like oh this is morally wrong this is morally <laughs> repugnant okay but everybody in the society is just like yeah everybody's boinking it's fine huh um you're not even like to have too much of an attachment to any individual person is a bit weird it's not like explicitly denied but it is enough to get your friends talking about how you're seeing the same person too much sure 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 um, so that's the extent to which, like, families and, uh, like, the mother-father bond and, like, all, all that stuff is so, like, purged from society yeah. here in what would be the year, like, 2500-something, but is referred to as AF628, I think, which is uh, after Ford, and it refers specifically to the number of years since the first Model T rolled off the line. Ah, Okay. Uh, everybody, another another way the book almost gets to 1984 level, like lingo, is that Ford's name. It's not he's not quite a religious figure, but he, his name is used as like an oath a lot. Like you'll hear lines like, "Oh Ford," or "By Ford," or, or "By by Ford," or uh, "Cleanliness is next to Fordliness" is my favorite example. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, what was I talking about? Well, you were talking about Lenina. Do you want to talk about Ford for a bit, or do you want to talk about where Lenina fits in with Mister Marks? Ford a little bit. Like I think in terms of the in of, in terms of the book, if you just understand that Ford is this industrial capitalist who invented like production line stuff, and the like, I guess discovering that predictability is good in terms of like making more stuff so people can buy more stuff (laughs) like this, this society is that like applied to everything and not just cars, I guess is my, yeah. Yeah. Like he, who uh, Huxley found 
Ford's biography on like a boat trip to the Philippines and read it. I think he might have been both impressed and horrified by it. It's unclear. Um, he that's about <laughs> that is about the right way to approach a lot of these like turn of the 20th century inventor yes, figures correct. if you want to get into like a Ford or an Edison or something. Uh-huh. Um, he was also um, so like there's a thing called Fordlandia, which is not a sitcom. It was a failed town in Brazil that Ford had set up that like the idea of a um, kind of company owned town that is resource specific. It's uh, like that Disney town in Florida. A little bit like Celebration Florida. Yeah. Um, and all of this is like I've read I was reading a lot about this book and it being like this particular version of a utopia dystopia as like the logical end point of assembly line thinking and Fordism um, where you have the standardization of the product in this case people the employment of assembly lines with special purpose tools and equipment to allow unskilled workers to contribute to the finished product. Um, and workers that are paid higher wages so that they can afford to purchase the products that they make. Not to, like, help them live elsewhere or do... It is specifically about using consumerism to create stability and peace um, as opposed to, you know, anything else. Such that he was, like, Ford was very anti-union. He was also incredibly anti-Semitic, though that doesn't seem to factor into this book. Um, Yeah, it just... Interesting. I I did not know that he was revered as a god, but not in this book um, until you mentioned it to me. So that's I don't know. Yeah, I was a little surprised about it, but it makes I think it makes a certain amount of sense once you dig into it a little bit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> especially if you're writing this like in the direct aftermath of of that like industrial explosion and the rise of the horseless carriage and you know all that stuff. Yeah, well and writing it as there's as the depression ripples throughout the world and the fallout of this kind of of this immediate explosion of assembly line capitalism and consumerism like just saps a bunch of people of their livelihoods um mm-hmm. and creates as much uncertainty as people saw after World War 1. Um mm-hmm. So anyway, getting back to Lenina and Bernard, you said they're not running around 1984 style. What happens, though? Well, so she is sort of intrigued by him, in a, like, and also made very uncomfortable by some of the weirdo, like, anti-society stuff that, mm. <laughs> that he says. Um, but they are, you know, they go out on a date, and he's spouting off about all kinds of stuff. And the, the date doesn't go super well, but she's still intrigued by him. But like all the all the bad things that he's saying and doing is getting back to like the director of this facility, and he is threatening to have Bernard transferred to like Iceland, just sent off. Oh, they, gosh. The, the book takes place mostly in London. Um, but before this can happen, he decides, oh, me and me and Lenina, we're going to go on a holiday to this savage reservation. And this e. is what the book mm-hmm. says. This is a essentially a, a Native American reservation. The book also frames it as like a patch of land where there was just not enough stuff, like natural resources and things for it to be worth like, quote, civilizing and making part of this world state where everything is super controlled and and regulated. And so the people who live there, you know, they, they still have like 
natural birth and families and aging and dying and like all the you know stuff stuff that is recognizable but it's not like they're living in some you know recognizable kind of society that we would yes yeah it is some kind of weird like fusion of native beliefs and like christianity they okay. speak de- dead languages including spanish oh <laughs> okay sure <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of an exotic thing to go and do. So uh, right before Bernard can leave, his director like idly tells the story of like when he went to one of these reservations with a, a young woman who got lost and he never found her and she never like came back. And I'm not sure why he's volunteering this information except to make the story work. <laughs> sure. Even though it doesn't necessarily need to happen to make the story work. But Bernardin and Lenina go to this reservation and who did they find but the woman who had been left behind some like 20 years before. Makes sense. And the reason why she never like came back to society was that she had been impregnated by this director Mm. and she was embarrassed about it. Mm. And their son, his name is John, and he is a... You know, he doesn't fit in with the, quote, savage population because he is a, you know, he he is he was born of people who came from like civilization, but he's never been exposed to civilization either. So he gets some like weird stories about the civilization from his mom. He reads like he can read, but the only two books he's ever read are this book about how like childbirth works in the in society and also the complete works of William Shakespeare only two books you need I don't know why else Um, he would why would he read anything else Andrew (laughs) and it's you know books because this kind of like reading books and and art and stuff is sort of frivolous it doesn't really exist in society people don't read Shakespeare nobody knows what this stuff that's where the title of the book comes from if people don't know it comes from the tempest and so you got this weird guy who mostly speaks in like Shakespearean inflected oh, English. Oh no, how old is he? Is he like a teen who He's just... like 20 years old. Oh no, I'm worried he's and insufferable. He's just, <laughs> and he's just quoting Shakespeare all the time. No. So like many like many 20-year-olds. Oh no. Who only speak in cure lyrics or something. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hang out with him. But they so Bernard he figures he puts two and two together figures out that this this woman can like effectively lay low this director who's threatening to have him transferred to Iceland. Oh, okay. And then uh, and then John is taken with Lenina and vice versa. So everybody agrees to go back to society together. Hmm. Okay. And John, as sort of an exotic creature, is. Everybody's very interested in what his whole deal is, especially after he and Bernard show up at the baby factory and John calls the director his father, which is immediately scandalizing. Because people don't have those. Yeah, we don't have those. Nobody does that. That's weird. Yeah. Um, So Bernard is elevated to celebrity and is briefly given the, the respect and the access ready access to broads that he feels his Whoa. position in society should have afforded him this entire time because hmm. of 
you know, he's he brought this very interesting fella back to society with him. Okay. John's having a hard time because of, you know, the way that the society is mostly lives. It's, I don't know, they, they live like pain free, but then also like experience free. Sure. Yes. <laughs> and he... I don't know. He he seems to feel like so, that some element of like suffering or unhappiness is key to the human experience. And this whole society has been engineered to get rid of all that stuff. There's a story about Huxley traveling to San Francisco and that possibly inspiring this novel. And I feel like that's what's happening. Like he just went to San Francisco and was like the youths, the consumerism, the boinking. <laughs> and he couldn't believe it. Um, mm-hmm. We're also coming out of like Victorian era England, what yada yada yada. But I'm just imagining John coming to San Francisco now and not being able to handle it. It's right. funny to me being like, man, everybody's going to the mission, and eating burritos. <laughs> and the only thing. They're looking at a sex. big bridge and having yeah. sex by it. I hate it. Sex on the bridge and eating burritos. Sex on a bridge. That's everything like people do drink. in San Francisco. Yep. I've been there. Yep. They got fog, burritos, big bridge. Sometimes fires, and that's pretty much it. Yep, out that's there. it. Those are the only things. Mm-hmm. iPhones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. This is another. Every time we do a daytime recording, I'm like, man, this vibe is weird. Huh? It's a good vibe, though. So what? So like, I was not. Ex- I wasn't sure how the like characters having Bernard has like like a clear. I need to clear my name, or I need to deal with this guy who's got stuff on me, like. Does John have an, a clear arc or is he just like, man, it's that scene in Austin Powers where he's like realized he's traveled through time and doesn't understand anything. And like the sad music is playing. <laughs> I do appreciate that you've chosen the broadest possible reference. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Uh, no, John is, he is, so his mom elects to go into a soma fueled essentially coma because she's like, middle-aged yeah and not skinny anymore and so society has nothing to it doesn't it's not interested in her okay because everybody basically lives in a state of like perpetual like 30-ness like 30-year-oldness and then they die at 60 huh so it's not really a logan's run situation but it is there's a little bit of hollywood to it of like everybody can be perpetually young Everybody can be perpetually young until you turn 60 and then it's all over for you unless you're like one of like a dozen men or like two women. Yep. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> That's how Hollywood works. That's how Hollywood works. You're right. Um. So yeah, she is uh, She is killing herself sort of with, with drugs and so he's not happy with that. Everybody keeps kind of making fun of him because she's his mother and even even she doesn't like fully appreciate the the maternal bond because she came up in the society where this thing didn't exist yeah he's he's the only one who really understands why he feels this way about her if that makes any sense no he's having trouble with that he's being gawked at all the time he likes lenina and she likes him but because his idea of like what morality is comes from the complete works of William Shakespeare. Oh my God. <laughs> the first time she tries to initiate casual sex with him, he gets really upset and calls her a strumpet, an impudent strumpet. No. Over and over. John. And shoves her out and decides, man, I can't do this. I got I to gotta leave. I, 
I need to deprive myself of some stuff because this society is no good. Okay. So he, when his mother dies, and this is a major, like, turning point for him because a bunch of like little eight-year-old like lower class kids come in because they're being death conditioned. They're being taught about death. Neat. So they come in and they look at this dead woman. And they're asking all kinds of questions. And he gets really mad at, at them and starts like shoving them and stuff. And Bernard comes in and this other guy, um, Watson, comes in. And he is, he's a slightly more majored figure in the book who we haven't talked about. But he's, he is like Bernard in that he is also at this top like alpha class of society. But is also just a little unhappy like he's a he's a gifted writer and like a propagandist but he feels like he, there, there's nothing he can really do yeah, yeah 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 because you can't really i don't know you can't you can't write stuff that is outside of the prescribed stuff that is deemed acceptable by like society at large and so sure. he also it, it said earlier in the book that they you know they don't share a lot uh watson and 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 bernard but they do share a sense of being like individuals that is not common in okay. society. So the three of them all get like rounded up by the cops and uh, Bernard and Watson are both told basically, we're going to send you to some of the, some islands. We send people to these islands when they prove to be like too individualistic to live within society. So it's not even a 1984 thing where they get like killed and never heard from again. Yeah. It is you are being sent to a place where you might even be happy because you're going to be surrounded by other individuals and it's all cordoned off. So it is not a danger to society and everybody can just kind of live that way. It it is a society that is, as uh, Huxley says in that in that letter to Orwell, like it, it seems to think that rewarding people in the way that they want to be rewarded is a better way to oppress the like yeah. everybody collectively than it is to actually have to like chase people down and like gun them and change their brains to yep. make them think different stuff. Sure. Yeah, cuz you need to you need to then spend energy on those on developing and maintaining those resources and that apparatus when instead you could just give people what they want. Yeah. Sure. Um, so those two guys get sent away. What happens to John? Those two guys get sent away. The So because John is so, again, I keep using the word exotic. He's just so like unique yeah. to this society. Like no, nobody else like him exists. This hasn't really happened before. Um, they want to keep him around. But he wants to, he wants to be alone. He wants like the freedom to be unhappy, basically. Sure. And so he goes out to the countryside and because the like the only reason anybody goes out to the countryside is to play sports like we talked about before, <laughs> he's able to pretty easily find like this abandoned lighthouse and he wants to live this like life of, of deprivation where he can be alone and be sad. And he like he starts thinking about Lenina and he is really upset that he's thinking about her like he's not. You know, he he doesn't deserve to to think about her. So he starts like sort of flagellating himself, like literally with a whip. Oh, cool. This is this is and this is based on like a, a ritual we saw earlier in the, in the okay. reservation. Um but this strange behavior starts drawing the notice of like passers by and reporters. And it ends with this big scene where 
all the like a, somebody has recorded a movie of him doing all this stuff. It's called a feely because uh, uh, you can like when you go to the theater and watch it, you can get physical sensations from it, too. It's like, did you ever go to that? I, I forget which Disney park it Do was. You mean that alien like, thing in Disney World? I, there there have been several movies. I think one I went to was like a Pirates of the Caribbean thing. But like you go and it's like in 3D and then sometimes they like sprinkle water on you when yeah. it's raining. It's like a 4D movie <laughs> experience. <laughs> they, they blow air at like the back of your legs to yeah, make you think there's yeah. mice it's and stuff. Sort of, it's kind of sort of like that is what a feely is. So somebody, they make a feely about like the life of this savage and it creates this big scene where everybody's coming out and like demanding that he whip himself like in the movie. Ooh. And then Lenina comes out and he is he gets really agitated. He like attacks her and and the the crowd is eventually dispersed and then the book ends with like John hanging himself because he can't oh. like deal with he can't deal with this anymore. Cool. And so that's that's the book. Can I ask about a character you haven't mentioned real quick? You, you can if you want, yeah. Uh, is there Mustafa Mond? Is that a person? Yeah. What's mm-hmm. his deal? He is also inspired by a real British industrialist businessman um, mm-hmm. who like con- made this big chemical conglomerate or something. Um, that was, I think Huxley took a tour of that facility and not quite a Ford, but similarly a guy creating engineered spaces and things and yeah he's kind of the the boss of this okay of the, and he's the, you know, when watson and, and bernard and john all get taken in and he decides what's gonna like and and it is decided what is going to happen to them like mond is the one who is sort of making that call and and that is at the beginning of the book before characters are really introduced and then there at the end is where it's mostly just Huxley like describing to you the reader yeah the way that the dystopia works uh here at the end at at the beginning it's more just explaining like the basics and then here at the end it's like basically a Q&A session between (laughs) Huxley and the reader being like well what if you'd changed this or what what if this happened and like he he talks about how you know there's there's no reason for like the the lower cast of the society to work as much as they do, but we did exper- we did experiment with like reducing their workday to like three or four hours earlier, and they had too much leisure time, and it just ended up going badly. Yes, I I saw notes about that. I saw notes about like some of the stuff that they make people buy is like it could be better or it could be better technology, but they make it kind of like just okay so that there's more reason to keep buying it not quite a planned obsolescence thing but like well he talks about what he specifically talks about is you know back in the in the days of our ford you know technological (laughs) advancement and science were just viewed as essentially good things that could be allowed to continue indefinitely oh okay we're here we figured out like the peak amount of science that can exist in the world before things like start to get bad this so maybe does, even yeah slightly foreshadowing like a nuclear energy or, or some kind of big like disruptive world changing technological event like so so yeah in our world you you'd consider that to be like 
uh, the atomic bomb or even like the internet. Yeah. Like sure. stuff like this can't be allowed to develop because it would just be too unpredictable. Yes. And it would yeah. unbalance this, this delicate uh, society that they've constructed. Yeah. When I read about this character, it reminded me of that. I don't know if it's like the last scene. It's one of the last big passages in 1984 where like, what's his name is talking to the big boss. And he gets like the big like here's what's gonna happen to you and here's why you're under control and stuff. It's like that scene in the second Matrix movie where he talks to that Colonel Sanders looking guy. The architect, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, when you were just describing it's like it isn't it's when I was reminded of the scene in the first Matrix movie where Agent Smith is like, We had to design the city in a way that it would be believable. And that does that's not a one to one analog to this, but there is an element of like we couldn't make it too good. Mm-hmm. We couldn't make things too possible. Um, okay, as a reader here in the 21st century, Andrew, what do you, I don't know, what's it critiquing? Is it, is it critiquing like straight up collectivism? Is it critiquing capitalism? Is it? It's weird that it's a, yeah, normally when you get a, when you, some literature in this period, but especially like after World War II is when it's when it is criticizing like groupthink or collectivism, it's sort of an implied critique of, of communism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there, there's, I don't know. There, there's not none of that here, but it does seem mostly like it is collectivism in pursuit of capitalism. I guess it's like the logical end point of capitalism is everybody's just like controlled and consuming all the time. Yes. I was, I, okay. I was wondering I if that know. was your read on it. Cause that was, what was cropping up in some of the background info, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to just trust it and have it fed to me. Like I was a bottle baby. (laughs) No, that's, that's about, I would say that's about right. There's Um, a, there's a quote from GK Chesterton. Um, who's a writer. The great GK Chesterton (laughs) is here (laughs) to bestow his quotes upon us. Yeah. Um, I think I, who was a, who was a big fan of Chesterton? Uh, C.S. Lewis was a big fan of Chesterton. Um, he was said of this book, it was he's writing about like where you know where this utopian dystopia comes from. Um, it was contemptuous contemptuousness not only of the old capitalism but of the old socialism. Um, which you're right, it just doesn't have the Cold War anything communist socialist equals russia equals bad energy it has mm-hmm. the like i don't know no every man should be free energy but, but like pre the 60s i don't i this book seems wild in that it does not map too easily to things as i understand them today even it though it skeeves and, me out and even john's like push toward individualism is not like he dies at the end. Like it's not, it's, yeah. not, it's not presented as some like uniquely virtuous mm. thing. I don't yeah. know. It, I guess point. it, this society has given up on like art and beauty and stuff. And that, that's the, that's the main critique. Okay. Like, you, you, yes. Everybody thinks that they're happy, but are they really, but are they, but are they really? Cause there's art. They could have art and they don't. So yeah. how happy are they really? You know, Think about it. Close your mind. (laughs) And the rest will follow. Uh Uh, Cool. Thanks for taking me into this brave new world, Andrew, called 2021. You're welcome. I hope it's a a good 
Brave New World eventually. Yes. Um, it's a little early to say. So far, mixed. A mixed version. So far. So far. Yeah, <laughs> it seems reasonable. Um, if you want to tell us your hopes for the Brave New World called 2021, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at overduepod. Thanks to Donald, Kel, Rebecca, Emily, Flan, Dennis, Tara, Tanya, Adrian, Lana, Jennifer, Tom, Robert, and many more for reaching out in the past week. Our theme song is composed by Nick Lorangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, should they go? Just go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. If you want to read along, uh, click those and you can buy them from bookshop.org. Gives us a little bit of money, gives your local independent bookseller a little bit of money, and you get a book, which is a good or service that we think that you will like, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, our January schedule is up uh, next week. Craig's going to read uh, Broken Earth Book 2, The Obelisk Gate That's by N.K. Jemison. Uh, Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie is um, on January 18th, uh, January 25th. The Fat Woman Next Door is Pregnant by Michael Tremblay. Michelle, excuse me. He's sorry, Canadian. Trim- I'm sorry. I apologize. I sorry, want, Canada. I, I want to get that right now because I'm going to mess it up. I say yeah, something. no, you're right. And I even looked at that like last night when we put that list together. And I was like, man, I should make sure I don't call him Michael, huh? <laughs> Whoops, whoopsie doodle. And I think then, there was one episode where we called somebody Michael the whole time and then had to like go back oh, yeah. and digitally insert Michelle Faber. Michelle because yeah. we I fixed it. You messed it up. So I can bad. still hear in my brain my my re-record of his name. It's fine. <laughs> um and then Andrew, we won't have a like traditional bonus episode release in the month of January. Um we'll we have to fix our bonus episode schedule because we're launching a new long read project andrew tell me what it is uh we're gonna be reading the edith grossman translation of miguel de cervantes's don quixote Uh uh-huh in a mini series that we call jagged little mill yep that's it we're gonna be reading it it's gonna take about a year or so we're excited um so you can find out more information on how to get those episodes early patreon.com slash overdue pod like always we will never paywall that stuff indefinitely we just provide early access to those so we will probably have like two months where we have back-to-back regular bonus episodes keep an eye out for that we'll keep you posted on that so that we can set that schedule but um the first time that jagged little mill will hit the main feed will be in february uh stay tuned we're very excited fun all right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another year. That's right. You're obligated to stay with us all year now. It's <laughs> true. Consuming this one episode. Until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.